Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. Did you know the complete series, or at least as much as I've written thus far, is available on Amazon? It's true. You can go there and pick up a copy and support this little project for as little as $3. Or if you don't want to support The Mighty Zon, you can also find us on Barnes & Noble. Grab a copy, follow along, or just keep it on the shelf, and feel good knowing you help support what is probably going to go down in history as the finest pulp sci-fi adventure series ever written. Just saying. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Templum Veneris, book two of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author. Chapter 4 Adriana was taken from her home in Brazil and shipped to a privately run prison in the United States. The hope was that she could be safely kept there, quiet and out of sight. There would be no trial for the people to obsess over, no appeals to spark protests, not a single word to remind the world that she existed. She would just vanish. This plan backfired in spectacular fashion, for inside that hell, Adriana found other political prisoners of the various corporations. They helped craft her image and her message until it was sharper than any weapon. She also found prison staff, disgruntled at the low pay and slave-like conditions, more than willing to look the other way or outright aid communications in and out of jail. Within a year, her book, Huglamento por Fogo, or in English, Trial by Fire, had been smuggled out page by page and was a worldwide underground sensation. From The Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Raff. The shuttle from Earth docked with Ministry Station Phoenix with such a hard jolt that it felt like something slammed into the hull. There was a soft murmur from the crowd as those that had slept during the entire trip were jostled awake. Vago just sat staring straight ahead at the mass of bright red hair floating in the cloud several rows in front of him. He tested the restraints that held him to the seat, but they wouldn't budge. They needed to talk, and they needed to talk before they met up with Isra, but Althea appeared dead set on avoiding that. Althea's seat had been next to his on the train ride across South Africa, but she hardly used it. When she did, she pretended to be busy reading up on some obscure medical text. Before the shuttle launch, she changed her seat. Vega sighed and looked out the window. Even this close, the station looked like something cobbled together by a disturbed child with whatever happened to be lying around at the time. Compartments that appeared fresh off the design floor were connected to pieces that looked salvaged from the cloud of space trash that orbited the Earth. If there was ever a plan for its construction, it was sacrificed to the gods of expediency, financial limitations, and global politics. The intercom crackled to life. Good evening, everyone. Sorry for the hard dock. These old space stations never seem to be exactly where they're supposed to be. Your restraints will be released in just a moment or two. We encourage you to take a moment, as zero gravity might make you feel a bit disoriented, maybe even nauseous. Once outside, the crew will be able to direct you to your destination within the station. Welcome to Ministry Space Research Platform Phoenix. The moment the restraints lifted, Althea shot out of her seat and headed for the hatch leading to the station. 
Bago launched out of his seat and tried to claw his way through the crowd that consisted of the usual categories. Tourists, laughing as they experienced weightlessness for the first time. Novices who were suffering through various degrees of motion sickness. And veterans of space travel, who watched both groups with an air of smug superiority. By the time he managed to get to the hatch and pull his way into the space station proper, Althea was gone. There was only a group of people floating in a haphazard line in front of a ministry official in a dark green uniform, tapping information onto a screen attached to his forearm. Sorry, Vago mumbled as he pushed himself through the crowd. Gotta get through. Urgent business. Very important. Sorry. Every person he pushed past shot him a glare or mumbled some profanity or another, but he soon found himself at the front of the line and face-to-face with the ministry official. He regarded Vega with a measure of disdain. Your name? Vega held the top of his hat to keep it from floating away. I'm looking for someone, he spat out. A woman, tall, red hair, gorgeous. She'd have just come through. Your name, please, the official growled with growing impatience. Vega spade, he mumbled. The official cocked his head and fixed Vega with a condescending look. Please speak loud and clear, sir. Vago Spade, he repeated with more conviction. Ah, I thought you looked familiar, said the man dismissively as the data appeared on his arm computer. The Martian. Going home finally? Vago ignored the comment and tried to peek around the man's body. There were three different corridors behind him, and judging by the look of the place, each tunnel could branch off into at least three more. He could wander this junk heap of a station for years and never find Althea. The official cycled through the information. I see. You're to go to Section Charlie Tango 7. Take the left hatch. You'll notice a green stripe. Follow it until you reach the waiting area. Captain Colton will be there. Vago didn't wait for the man to finish before he launched himself toward the tunnel the dock official had indicated, where several stripes of color were painted along the hallway. Red, yellow, blue, orange, green, and some kind of sickly mauve color. He clawed his way through the twisting corridors, through T-junctions and faraway intersections, like a gerbil in a habitat. Each time the paths diverged, another color disappeared, until there was only the green line, which led to a cube-shaped open area about six meters square. Althea floated against a wall, wearing a white coat, holding her black medical bag, and looking impatient, until she saw him pull himself out of the hatch. Then she just looked annoyed. He floated in her general direction. Popular place today. Tough to get around, Vago said. Althea ran a hand through her floating hair. Well, these space stations are becoming the first leg of the trip to take people out to the colonies, both old and new. The lunar outpost, Mars, a few asteroids. Even Titan just opened up for recolonization. No thanks to us. She laughed. It's all a bit foolish if you ask me. Most of them haven't the slightest idea what things are like out here. They'll get themselves killed, most likely. I think it's kind of admirable. Folks following a dream to make their fortune in the vast unknown. Stepping away from everything they know for the chance of adventure. To really, really build something out there. Althea pulled up the sleeve of her coat, revealing the aero suit underneath along with the computer screen attached to her forearm. She tapped at something absentmindedly. Perhaps the thing they want isn't available. Perhaps it never existed at all. That it would all be for nothing. Vago shook his head. Don't mean a man shouldn't try. Yes, well, he should be prepared for disappointment, said Althea without looking up. 
Vigo flipped around so he could look at her. Yeah, well, all the same, I need to tell you something. This is neither the time nor the place. This is as good a place as any. As good as it's going to get, anyway. Althea shut off her computer and looked him in the eye. Fine. You're right. I suppose I owe you an apology, and perhaps a thank you for not taking advantage. It's been a confusing time for me, as I'm sure it has been for you. But we have a mission now, and so I believe it's best if we just let it go and pretend it never happened. The words were like a swift kick to the crotch. Pretend it never happened, Vega repeated. Althea, I... It's been months, months, since I felt anything that made me feel even a little bit human. Until you walked in my door, I'd given up feeling anything at all. Now you want to tell me what? To just forget it? Just toss away the only moment I felt like a person? A real flesh and blood, living, beaten heart person? Althea narrowed her eyes. Don't. Don't what exactly? Althea drifted forward until their faces were just centimeters away. Don't try and pile some guilt trip on me. I'm sorry it's been hard for you, but it's supposed to be hard. Coming off Triple T is hard. But don't try and tell me that I'm putting that in jeopardy just by stopping by. Just stopping by, Vago exclaimed. Is that what you call it? Barging into my house, nearly ripping my clothes off. Is that what you call? I did nothing of the sort. Of course not, because we're forgetting it. It never happened. That works for you, don't it? What's going on with you? One minute you can't keep your hands off me. The next, you can't be bothered breathing the same air as me. Walk me through that process. Really, help me out. I'm curious. Really? Althea's voice became harsher and more heated. You want to discuss this? Right here? Right now? Vigo raised his voice as well. No, I want to discuss it on the train or on the shuttle. You flat out refuse to talk to me then. At least I'm making progress up here. You're testing my patience. Still progress. Vega became aware of a third party nearby. He glanced left to see a man awkwardly floating near a hatch. He wore the requisite dark green ministry jumpsuit, with patches that indicated he was a captain, but the man's long hair and patchwork beard led Vago to speculate that he might have been some breed of space hobo who had managed to steal someone's clothes. When he caught Vago's eye, he made a long, drawn-out groan, as if he wanted to say something but was afraid of the ramifications. "'Can I help you?' Vago asked, raising an eyebrow. The man touched his head, chest, and stomach in the three-point ministry salute, a gestured version of the Ministry Armed Forces motto, Head, Heart, and Guts. Excuse me, friends. I'm Captain Colton of the Ministry Extraterrestrial Expedition Force. You are Vago Spade and Althea Fallon? The tone in his voice and the slight grimace suggested that he really, really hoped he had the wrong room. That's us, said Vago. Please follow me, then, said Colton with a slight sigh. Isra Jacario is waiting. Colton spun himself around with well-practiced grace and launched himself down a corridor. Vago and Althea both followed. Captain Colton showed practiced skill in the weightless environment as he pulled and pushed his way through the tunnels of the massive complex, as if he'd been born on this station, and it was the only movement he'd ever known. Vago and Althea, by contrast, were sweating trying to keep up. You are late, Isra scolded as Vago pulled himself inside after Colton. How the Tamgang can I be late, said Vago, still seething. The train left on time, so did the shuttle. If I'm late, it's because you put me on the wrong flight. Isra glanced over as Althea found a handhold near the entry hatch. The room was disc-shaped with white plastic walls 
and Vago found it was just barely high enough that he could orient himself upright without slamming his head against the ceiling or the floor, depending on your perspective. Kronos was there with Isra, wearing the same dark ministry green uniform over his aero suit. He also had his immersion goggles strapped to his head, an immersion glove that wrapped around his arm from elbow to fingertips like a metallic vine. He seemed to be watching invisible things fly overhead and occasionally reached to touch them. Isra glanced at the two of them. It takes approximately ten minutes to exit the shuttle and find your way here. It has been twenty. The shuttle was not late, not according to the station records. Therefore, you are late. What is going on with you two? Vago shrugged, trying to hide his irritation. So we got a little lost. It's a big station. What makes you think there's something going on? Well, you are on opposite sides of the room, for one, noted Isra, glancing between the two again. Althea turned a slight shade of crimson. Vago took off his hat and ran a hand down his queue. We were discussing a hollow vid that got everyone on the Nouveau Net all excited, some firebrand preacher trying to shut down the electric bordello. I'm for it. I think the whole thing's morally degrading. Althea is surprisingly adamant about keeping it. She's apparently a huge fan. What about you, Isra? Care to weigh in? Vago became aware that he was the focus of a harsh glare from both women. It made the hair on certain parts of his body stand up straight, but he clenched his teeth to keep from showing anything. Vago, said Isra in a slow, deliberate tone, if something is going on between you and Althea something that might compromise the mission, I need to know about it. You know I can tell when things are not right. Vago put his hat back on. If I were you, Isra, I'd stay out of my head. I don't think you'd much care for the mess. I understand we have a mission. Maybe we should talk about that. Isra glared at Vago for a few seconds. Her look conveyed any number of physical threats so horrific that mere words wouldn't do them justice. Captain Colton, she said finally. We may start the briefing. Colton pulled up the sleeve on his uniform and tapped a few icons on his Eros computer. The lights in the room dimmed and a beautiful female voice began speaking. Vigo couldn't understand a single word, but the sound was sensual, even if the meaning was not. Benvino persona de Tara, esta arenha Isabel de Satiria. Y con gran placer que ofreció un convite espacial para la sala de Satiria. Pretty voice. Who's she? Vago asked. She identifies herself as the Arenha of Cytheria City, said Isra, floating toward the center of the room. She is the local monarch who may very well control any and all human settlements on Venus. Vago folded his arms. What does she want? She has a special invitation for us. A special invitation? Un convite especial, Kronos said, sliding the goggles off his face. Well, Cal Diabias, you speak, well, whatever the hell that is, Kronos, said Vago. It's a type of ancient Portuguese, said Kronos, based on ancient texts before the fall, and recordings made now, one could build a reliable model for the language. One could even use that model to learn the language. One could even program a cerebral interface to quickly teach this language in hibernation. One is doing that now, actually. Ah, of course. Incomprehensible spew, said Vago. I've missed you, Kronos. So what's this special invitation to, exactly? Isra touched her own Eros computer. 
The lights dimmed, and a hologram of Venus appeared in the center of the room. Easter floated so close that the light reflected off her face. As near as we can tell, Arenha Isabel is granting us an audience. We do not know much about the society. The operator only conversed with the Arenha for a few more minutes before we lost the signal entirely. We have not been successful at finding it again. The hologram zoomed into the planet until the sphere became a jagged landscape, and Isra continued. There was an effort in the mid-21st century to make Venus habitable for human life, using carbon capture technology and other atmospheric modifications. The people of that time period hoped to lower the temperature, remove the toxic gases, and replace them with an oxygen-rich environment. Until this moment, we had assumed their efforts were unsuccessful. It turns out we were only partially right. I don't understand, said Althea, watching the holographic landscape speed by. Everything I've read puts the surface at two or three hundred degrees. Not as hot as it used to be, but still too much for any permanent colonization. What changed? The hologram centered on a large mountain and started circling it. We were thinking globally, when we should have been thinking locally. Isra focused everyone's attention on the mountain. The Maxwell Montes is located near the planet's northern polar region, which gets much less solar energy than the rest of the planet. It is also the highest point on the surface, so, yes, while most of the planet remains uninhabitable, the area around the peak of this mountain is the exception. In fact, given Venus's relative size and atmospheric composition, this rugged patch of ground may be the most Earth-like place in the solar system. Vigo floated with his arms folded, looking unimpressed. A few folk living halfway up a wall ain't much of a civilization. Easter indicated a wide, flat area near the mountain peak. The mountain range forms a plain a few hundred kilometers wide that would provide ideal living conditions for a society to develop and flourish. Several hundred kilometers beyond that would still be technically habitable, but decreasingly so as one travels down the mountain. But you are right, Vago. It is unlikely that we will find a technologically advanced civilization. Isra touched her Eros computer. The hologram disappeared, and the lights brightened. We have been ordered by the Ministry to investigate whatever civilization we find, meet their leader, and leave with the beginning of a cooperation treaty between our people. Althea blinked with surprise. A treaty? Aren't we getting a little ahead of ourselves? You said before we barely know anything about these people. Yeah, Vigo added. What if we get there and find a pack of Orgion de la Chenia that ain't worth talking at, much less dealing with? Isra closed her eyes and breathed deep, as if trying to find some source of inner strength. Because the Human Reconnection Project needs results, Vago. The Ministry needs some tangible progress if they are to maintain interest in the project. The point of this operation is to build relations around the solar system that will provide a strategic advantage for the Ministry as our civilizations venture back into space. I thought the idea was to hunt for, study, and protect all those lost human colonies since the civilization tanked, Vago grumbled. Isra floated closer to Vago. Of course, that is our main goal, but you are naive if you think the Ministry wants nothing out of this. They have invested tens of millions of corporation fiat in this project, and we have had, to date, nothing to show for it. What about Titan? said Vago. Anyone remember that? Because I do. I only got my head chopped off. We saved that planet from a civil war that would have killed every miserable soul on that moon, and those that wouldn't have died would have been slaves on a dying world, not to mention my near decapitation of me 
and my head. That ain't good enough result. With all due respect to your head, Vago, no, it was not, said Easter. Titan is now totally under corporation control. They are using the increased revenue from Titan's hydrocarbons to threaten what little power the ministry has. It was a complete failure. The mission to Venus is all we have left. If we fail, it means the end of the human reconnection project. What if these people, whoever they are, what if they aren't terribly keen on alliance with us? Althea asked with rising concern. Then we will have to convince them that it is in their interest as well as ours, said Isra abruptly. She gestured at the captain. Captain Colton will be our pilot for this mission. Are we almost ready for departure? Very nearly, said Colton. Just getting the old girl filled up. Good. The rest of you get ready for hibernation. Captain Colton pushed himself toward the hatch, with Kronos floating leisurely behind. Vega and Althea were about to make their way through when Isra stopped them. Althea? Vega? I know that something is going on. It is likely none of my business. So long as it does not affect what we are about to do, it will remain that way. But if I need to find a replacement... Yeah, yeah, said Vega, pulling himself through the hatch. I get it. We'll be fine. We'll get it all sorted, right, Althea? Althea avoided his look, but nodded anyway. See? No problem. Vega continued with false cheerfulness. You'll get your treaty, Isra. You better. This project's the only thing any of us got left. The Ministry Exploration Spaceship Stalwart was docked in another part of the station, away from the crowds arriving from Earth. Its design was not unlike the basic mass-produced shuttles that carried passengers from Earth to the space station, but this model had added thrusters for escaping Earth's orbit, detachable boosters to aid takeoff from Venus, and extra antimatter reactors to make them all work. Vigo pushed his way down the main corridor of Stalwart and grabbed a handrail by the door to the hibernation room. Kronos floated cross-legged outside with his immersion handset and goggles. He floated nearly motionless, only occasionally reaching out to pluck something invisible in front of his face. Althea in there? Vago asked, pointing at the door. Not supposed to go in there, Cronus replied. Althea was very insistent, almost with a point of violence. I can handle myself, kid. You'll be sorry, Cronus predicted. Vago opened the hatch and pulled himself inside. Althea spun around and wrapped her arms around her nearly naked body when she heard the door open. Bloody hell, Vega, what's the matter with you? Sorry, said Vago, quickly closing the hatch behind him. Gross didn't tell me you were changing in here. Well, I am. Now get out. Ain't nothing I hadn't seen before. Anyways, we gotta talk. Must we? Seems it'd be a kindness to Isra. Besides, Ma always said you should never go to bed angry. Althea sighed. At least make yourself useful and hand me a sensor array. The room was barely the size of a closet, and Vago could almost move without hitting his head or limbs on the wall or the front of the hibernation pod. He was able, after some flailing, to spin around and find a small compartment where they kept the sensor arrays. Tight, translucent suits, completely lined with electronics and sensors, that monitored all facets of the body during hibernation. Putting them on always made Vago feel like his entire body was being wrapped in cellophane and then poked with wires. Each one was single-use and came in a mylar bag, barely big enough to contain a short book. He pulled one out 
and handed it to Althea. So about last night. Althea turned around and wrapped her arms tighter around her body. Do you mind? You gotta be kid, muttered Vago. He pulled his hat over his eyes and spun around, still holding the sensor array out for Althea to take. You seem perfectly happy to show me all sorts of things last night. Vago felt her take the Mylar bag and heard her rip it open. I wasn't exactly in my right frame of mind last night, Vago. I already apologize for that. I don't know what else you want me to do. Yeah, see, I was thinking. The only other time I seen you like that was the night we met. You remember that. Been trying my hardest to forget. Althea's voice strained with the effort of squeezing into the suit. Yeah, yeah, I know. It was a mistake. We've had that discussion. Well, then I don't know what else there is to say. Well, it occurred to me the last time you wanted anything to do with me, you just finished with a good bit of thieving, which is why you got so worried about the corpos banging down the door. So I got to wondering, what'd you steal this time, Althea? The faint rustle from Althea putting on her suit stopped. Just some new tech off some corporation creep. It's not your concern. I thought you were done with that business. I am. It was just a one-time thing. The people at the clinic, they got a saying. One hit is one too many. Don't lecture me, Vago. And it's okay. You can turn around now. She was dressed in the sensor array now. It was never designed for any kind of modesty. It was just barely obscured nudity with a lot of wires on top. Vago gulped. Althea sighed and rolled her eyes. And don't look at me like that. She spun around and began entering commands into the hibernation computer. How much is this new tech worth? Vago inquired. Althea opened a hibernation pod without answering. Vago kept pressing. A, a million? Five million? I know you didn't pull off a ten million fiat heist in one night. It was worth five hundred million corporate fiat. Downloaded from a secure facility, accessed by someone with the correct credentials. Althea hurried through the last sentence, as if that would explain it all away. Vago paused while he took all this in. Okay, you should be safe while you're working with us. Uh, when we get back to Earth, I know some people who can help you lay low. You might not be able to go home right away, but I figure... Althea turned around. I'm not worried about getting caught. I've got help, and they are careful. They'd lose too much if they turned on me. All sorts of corporation personnel have access to that system. It would be next to impossible to pin down exactly when it was stolen. The only person who could possibly make the connection is the very man I used to get it, and he has as much, if not more, to lose if the corporation finds out that he let me in. Vago lowered his hat and fixed Althea with a suspicious look. So they won't be coming after you. You sure? You were awfully skittish when Blinky was at the door. Althea turned back to the hibernation computer and touched the icons on the screen. It was unclear to Vago if she was accomplishing something or if it was just a convenient way to keep from looking him in the face. It was just the heat of the moment. The chances of them tracking me down are almost zero. I guess I don't understand. What's the problem? Vago floated closer, then stopped when Althea looked at him over her shoulder. That glare could cut steel. I enjoyed myself. There. Are you happy? I let a simple idiot on. A man who was possibly lonely or isolated and just wanted some companionship. Or maybe he was just horny, but that's hardly a crime. But you know what? At that moment, it felt right. Justified. Euphoric. Sexual, even. And you don't like any of those things? Althea turned back to the computer. You just don't get it. I shouldn't feel that way. That man did nothing to deserve that. 
He listened to his crotch more than his brain, but he never tried to hurt me nor anyone else that I could see. He was just a man, maybe a lonely man looking for some connection in this world, only to find just another person that wanted to stab him in the back. Vago chuckled. So what? You said yourself that he works for the corporation. That organization is so backstabbing that their symbol should be an arm plunging a knife into someone's spinal column. Althea stopped fiddling with the screen and just bowed her head. But they had the good sense to feel bad about it. Or at least know they did something wrong. But me? I felt nothing. I'd do it again if the situation presented itself. And again. And again. Vega reached out and put his hands on her shoulders and held her for a minute. You're different than them, Althea. You're a survivor. Althea spun around in his grasp and glared directly in his eyes. Yes, well, maybe I want to be like them. I had a stable life. Maybe I could again. I could have a career and money and a family and friends. Instead of being forced to thrash it out with the savages and... Althea stopped herself. She must have seen the look on Vega's face. I'm sorry, Vega. I didn't mean... No, I think I finally got it. The bell of orchestras forced to slum it with the wackos, misfits, and barbarians. That's why you can't have anything to do with me. Oh, sure, I might be fun for a quick in-out, but you can't bring a loud, tattooed Martian to dinner. Why, he might wipe himself with the bread and Kirasan Oro in the gravy bowl. As Vago spun around and pulled himself toward the exit, Althea begged, Vago, I'm sorry. I didn't mean, I just... Vago opened the hatch. No, no, you're right. There ain't nothing more to talk about. Sorry to have bothered you. He shut the hatch and swore and looked over to see Kronos giving him a curious look. You were right, said Vago after a moment. I am sorry I went in there. I am usually correct in such matters. Where are you going? I'm going to go see if Easter needs any help. You should probably get ready for hibernation. I feel like the shuttle wants to take off soon. I'll wait, said Vago, pulling himself down the hallway. I hate hibernation. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Templum Veneris, the second book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Predator by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license. City of Geeks, independent new media produced in Idaho.